place that we shall ever go, that we are outside of the attention of your care. And, and Lord, I pray that you would instill within us, even today, that sense of confidence and hope that comes from living in the eternal presence of a Lord who loves us, a Lord who gave himself for us. And with that, Lord, we would, we would, we would give you praise and thanksgiving And in that, Lord, we would also then sacrifice ourselves. We give ourselves to you out of your claim on our lives. For we are yours in the powerful and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Can you believe it? It's been uh, actually two years and and, and exactly four months since uh, we have been together, since I've been able to be with you. When I first came, I realized that Ebenezer was entering into a unique season. You had enjoyed a good relationship with one pastor, and you were looking forward to uh, welcoming the next, but it was a, a time of transition, and that's not an easy place to be. And when it looked like that season would then continue into 2016, I met with uh, Pastor George, and by the way, happy anniversary to you. How wonderful. When I met together with Pastor George to consider what sort of message would be relevant for our time together, especially as a new search committee uh, was being gathered, the first thought was that we would begin the season, the year, with a season of prayer. The second was that then we would enter a season of preparation uh, so that together we would be able to make the most of what might be called in a quaint sort of way the space called in betwixt and between. You you, you get an idea of what sort of image those words bring to mind. It's a picture of an awkward place. It's like having one foot on the boat and another foot on the dock, and the boat isn't tied to the dock, and things are beginning to move apart. It's a very, very awkward place, in betwixt and between. It's where life seems to be hanging in suspense. It's on hold. It's a place where you wait and you wonder and you worry quite a bit. Now, over the last decade or so, I have been with churches who have been between pastors. And I I realize that it is not an easy place for congregations to be. But being in betwixt and between isn't just a condition for a congregation to face. Let's be honest For most of us, that could be a title for a whole chapter in the biography of our life, could it not? Let's be honest, for most of us, it could be a title uh, of some time that occurred between jobs. Or you you maybe find yourself between homes or between relationships or maybe between a moment of health and healing. and, And you find yourself in this awkward place. It's filled with uncertainty, so... So thinking of our time together, I began to ask myself, where else have God's people found themselves in betwixt and between? And there are any number of examples. The the disciples found themselves there in the few days that that were between the uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. The children of God found themselves there in, in, in the 400 plus years of silence between the prophet Malachi, and the arrival of John the Baptist. Those two examples. One is a short period, a matter of days. The other is a little bit longer, 400 years. 
But, 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 but to be honest, in looking to find where else God's people have found themselves to be in betwixt and between, the best example I found took me to the book of Exodus. To a time in, of 40 years, to be exact, where God's people wandered in a desert. That's a very powerful book. And actually, it is a connection between two stories. It's the record of two stories. The first of the stories is found in the first 14 chapters and is probably the most remarkable and memorable story in human history, the Exodus. The second story, however, (laughs) is probably the most lackluster and forgettable story to be found. The first story is actually unbelievable in in its dimensions, but the second really becomes very hard to remember. My guess is that most of you already know the first part has to do with Moses and Pharaoh and the plagues and the power of God, the exodus. I read of a little boy who came home from church one Sunday and his parents asked him what he had learned in Sunday school that day. Boy, it was exciting, the little boy said. The children of Israel were held hostage by the Egyptians and then this guy named Moses came in with a SEAL team backed by stealth fighters and he attacked Pharaoh and there were smart bombs and there were ninjas and they all escaped in Humvees and helicopters. Well, the mom and dad were a little bit more than puzzled at this and they said, is that really what they taught you this morning? The little boy looked down and he said, well, not exactly, but if I told you what they told me, you'd never believe it. And the boy had it right. The story that you find in the first 13 chapters of the book of Exodus are really at the high tide of God's power. It is unbelievable. It's inconceivable. And as some of you look back in your own history, personal history, you might, in fact, be able to identify similar moments for yourself. A line actually drawn in your, in your life at the high tide of God's presence in your life where he has showed himself in power. Epiphany moments, that's what I would call them. Where you were left utterly convinced of the reality of God's ability and of his authority and of his presence and of his care for you. And you know that you know that you know that there is a God of power and that he does care for you. You have those moments. Let me pause there just for a moment, even thinking about that. Because moments like that really are definitive. Because as you navigate through life, they, they, they almost serve as fixed points that help you stay on track with a steady focus. In Exodus chapter 12, uh, and the first part of chapter 13, as God galvanizes this Exodus moment story, into an, he, he does it into an annual feast called Passover. And in verse 3 of chapter 13, it says, Moses says, commemorate this day, the day that you came out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. And I would suspect that most of you can easily identify your own moment where you know that you know that you know that you know that there is a God and that he cares for you and he holds you with a mighty hand. And you know the power of that moment and how it defines your life and sets your course through the rest of your life. And maybe that's what continues to bring you to church on Sunday for worship because here is where you commemorate all that God has done and done for you. It is something wonderful to remember. 
But as the book of Exodus follows the fortunes of God's people, you find that as they march through the Red Sea, they they head toward the Promised Land only to arrive in, in, in chapter 13 at a detour sign. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there with me to Exodus chapter 13 and look at verse 17. There we read these words. God did not lead them on the road through the, uh, through the Philistine country that was shorter. Admittedly shorter. Verse 18. So he led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The desert road to the Red Sea. Now, from this point on, the story dissolves into a desert, to a middle ground, a a space that qualifies for that title, in betwixt and between. And I might as well warn you, that's where we are going to be together, maybe not for 40 years, hopefully, but, but certainly for the next two months. Why? Because that is where God teaches his very best and most enduring lessons in life. In the desert. In that quiet moment. That space of suspense. It's in the desert, in, the, in betwixt and between, where God molds character and he shapes spirit. Now some of you may notice I left a few words out when I was reading those verses. Look at them now again. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Why? For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Their character was not prepared. God sends his people into the desert on a purpose and a mission. He knows the heart of his people, the flaws and the defects and the blemishes. But he also knows how to nurture growth and cultivate maturity. And more often than not, he uses desert moments as a tool to polish character. It is where God's people learn how to rely upon him, and it is where God shapes habits of soul that endure. And so for this period of time, I'm going to ask you to join with me as we go into the desert and learn the timeless lessons that really do belong to all of God's people, beginning with the first and probably the most fundamental one, which is found right here in Exodus chapter 13. It's the one upon which all of the rest come alive. It is the lesson of his presence. Look at it with me as I read in Exodus chapter 13, verse 20. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. In theological terms, uh, this is called a theophany where the presence of God is accompanied by a physical shape or form. Earlier in Exodus, God had spoken to Moses through a burning bush, which in itself was a theophany. It was a a tangible sight that Moses couldn't take his eyes off of. Here we read, the Lord inhabited a pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night providing a presence that came and stayed and left no doubt that God was there. Imagine, the, the image here is so profound that, 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 that it left 
an impression that goes throughout the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 6, as Isaiah enters a table, uh, uh, the, te- the temple, it is filled with this smoke, this cloud of smoke, leaving no doubt that God had arrived. And in Hebrews 13, all we have to read is that our God is a consuming fire for us to be able to be aware that He is there. Theophany is there. Now it's obvious from this that the, pri- uh, what the, the, that the primary purpose of God's theophany was to provide direction. Which way do we go? And the answer is very simple. Just stay very close to the cloud. That's all you have to worry about. But it's really more than him providing some sort of divine GPS device, some ancient Garmin or TomTom system. Am I showing my age? Do people still use Garmin? TomTom? Yes? Okay. <laughs> or Surrey. <laughs> okay, I might as well say that. You know. Surrey, where am I? Uh, now, it's true that the pillar led the way, but in fact, there was a whole lot of, there was not a whole lot of travel going on in the 40 years. They didn't travel very, very much at all. So you have to ask yourself the question, what good was the pillar then? If it was just a matter of direction? We are given the reason in Psalm 105, verse 39, where David describes in the psalm that he spread out this pillar, a cloud as a covering, and he gave fire as light to the night. Now let me see if I can explain it a little bit. The pillar was not Surrey providing directions, but was in fact God providing a cover and a comfort with his presence. Over my years of ministry, I've, I've found myself constantly encouraging people to put Jesus between them and whatever they're facing in life, especially as the challenges gain in size and weight and dimensions. Put Jesus between them. Here, God literally made that happen. I love the picture in, in Psalm 105 that is there. Uh, he spread the cloud as a covering. God himself providing cover. One commentator explained the word by saying this, the base of the pillar was wide enough to shield all of the people from the sun's harshest rays, which you find in the desert. The desert can be a dangerous place, a place of heat, of sun, but here God covers his people from the very worst of it all. And then at night, when all of the dangers that do lurk in the desert and come in the darkness began to prowl and growl, there was a nightlight on. (laughs) just love that image, the nightlight, that God was there to comfort his people. What a wonderful gift. I had a personal sense of this a number of years ago, back when I was a senior pastor at Bethany Baptist Church, and we were, it took us eight years from the moment that we decided to build a new building and get into it, and it was long and enduring process. And I still remember in, in the middle of winter one night, after a long business and enduring a building committee meeting, and you know how it is in those meetings at 11.30, 12 o'clock, 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. You're driving home, and you know what it's like driving home in Vancouver uh, with, the, with, the, with the fog and the rain that was coming down. At that time, we lived in Ladner. And those of you who live in Ladner or have ever driven through there at nighttime realize that we have a nightlight. The greenhouses that were just south of where we lived uh, just lit up the sky, and the way the, the, the fog was and the, and the rain was drizzling down, I was driving, and as I came through the tunnel, <laughs> and, and just feeling so discouraged and, and, and stressed, and, 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 and the endurance had, had just, I came out and I saw this pillar of light. 
<laughs> and somehow that, that image took me to this, that God was there in the night with the light to assure his people that he was there. And in seeing that, it became a definitive moment for me. God really cares. God really cares. And when God's people enter the desert, they do not go alone. They go led by him. And there was a comfort in knowing that they don't go alone, but that when they go, they go with God, and when they go with God, they're covered. And when God's people enter a time of uncertainty, not only do they do go, they're realizing that they are covered, but they also then gain with that a sense of confidence. If you go back and you read those verses again in Exodus chapter 13, notice the perspective. It was written in hindsight, after the fact, after the event. In verse, 20, in, 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 in verse 21, remembering the original purpose of the pillar was to provide steady presence and comfort, in verse 22 we read, a testimony that the promise had been kept and was being kept. For we read there in verse 22, and neither the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of God's people. And there is enough evidence that God made good on his promise in looking back, that also gave confidence that he would keep his promise in looking forward, steady and sure. I read that and somehow I hear an echo of another promise that is made in the scriptures. You find it in Matthew 28. Lo, Jesus says, I am with you always. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Some time ago I heard a story that seemed to fit this particular moment. It was written by a young lady named Linda and she, she found herself traveling alone along a long, rutted highway from Alberta to the Yukon. She did not know that you do not travel to Whitehorse alone in the winter in a rundown Honda Civic. She did not know that. So the first evening on her trip, she found a room in, in the mountains near a summit, and she asked the clerk for a 5 o'clock wake-up call so she could get an early start. She didn't understand why, the clerk looked surprised at the request, but as she awoke in the early morning, she saw the thick fog, and she understood. Not wanting to look foolish, she got up and she went to breakfast in that little cafe that they had, and two truckers were there, and they invited her to join them. Since the little diner was so small, she felt obliged, and so she sat. And they asked her, they said, where are you heading? And she said, I'm going to Whitehorse. <laughs> what are you driving? They asked. A Honda Civic. <laughs> the truckers stared at her in astonishment. No way, they said. That pass is dangerous in weather like this. Well, I'm determined to try, she said. That was her gutsy response. Reckless, but gutsy. Then I guess we're just going to have to hug you, one of the truck truckers said to his companion. She immediately stiffened. There's no way I'm going to let you touch me. <laughs> and they said, oh, no, 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 no. It's not like that, the trucker chuckled. We'll put one in front, truck in front of you and one in the rear, and that's how we're going to hug you all the way until you get through the mountains. And all that day, Linda followed two red dots in front of her and had a snow-filtered soft glow of headlights behind her. And as she described it, she has no memory at all of the scenery along that route. Just the memory of two red lights and two white headlights. She simply stayed between the lights all the way and arrived to her destination safely. 
The Bible describes God's care for his people in such terms. Something that is complete and constant. We read in the scriptures, in Psalm 121, we read that. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over you will neither slumber nor sleep. With a pillar of cloud and fire, the book of Exodus provides proof that no matter what desert God's people enter, no matter what desert you may find yourself in, you are not alone. And it's best for you to stay close to him. After lo, after after all, lo, he is with you now and always and even to the end of the age. Imagine that. It wasn't something that the children of Israel had to imagine. It was something they saw every moment of the day. They could see it morning, noon, and night and say to themselves, he is with us. But by the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ, we may not necessarily see his presence with our eyes, but we in fact can take it to our hearts in prayer. He is with us always. Over the years, I've taken to collecting prayers and taking them to heart. Among them, I've treasured what are known as the Celtic prayers, coming out of Ireland and the movement of St. Patrick. And I I love the poetry of the imagery that they have uh, like the book of Psalms, they draw images that, 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 that shape in your heart into a robust and vivid relationship with the Lord, who makes his presence a daily promise. The most famous of, of these prayers is known as St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's a, it's a magnificent example of the visual quality of Celtic prayer. Whenever I, I say this prayer, and, I, and, I, and, and when I take it to heart on a on a regular basis, it is as if then God is capable of surrounding me with a reminder of his presence. So as I close this message, I'm just going to share a few lines from that prayer that you can take to heart. In fact, you might find a few of those lines on the screen behind. Just sharing a few of those words. Listen to how it goes. I rise today with the power of God to pilot me. God's strength to sustain me. God's wisdom to guide me. God's eye to look ahead for me. God's ear to hear me. God's word to speak for me. God's hand to protect me. God's way before me. God's shield to defend me. God's host to deliver me from snares of devils, from evil temptations, from nature's failings, from all who wish to harm me, far or near, alone or among the multitudes. I rise today. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ to the right of me, Christ to the left of me, Christ in my lying, Christ in my sitting, Christ in my rising, Christ in the heart of all who think of me, Christ on the tongue of all who speak to me, Christ in the eye of all who see me, Christ in the ear of all who hear me, for to the Lord belongs salvation. May your salvation, Lord, be with us. Always. If you can see the screen, would you just pray those last words, that last stanza together with me, just for yourself? Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ within me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ to the right of me. Christ to the left of me. 
Christ in my lying. Christ in my sitting. Christ in my rising. Christ in the heart of all who think of me. Christ on the tongue of all who speak to me. Christ in the eye of all who see me. Christ in the, all, uh, in the ear of all who hear me. For to the Lord belongs salvation. May your salvation, Lord, be with us always. May your salvation, Lord, rest gentle upon us always, even until the end of the age, we pray. Amen.